Hey, welcome to AUSU Open Mic, going from coast to coast to coast and all around the world, serving uh, Athabasca University undergrads all around the earth. Uh, with me today, I have Cole Baker, uh, who's the Vice President External at McEwen University Students Association, or SAMU, one of our best friends. And speaking of best friends, we also have your VP External, Natasha Donahue. I'm Duncan Watasek. I'm your Governance and Advocacy Coordinator. Uh, welcome to both of you. Thank you. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course, anytime. Uh, we wanted to chat a little bit today about your mental health. Uh, mental health is a, a growing issue of concern, not just here at the Students' Union, but I think at post-secondary campuses all across Canada, and I think with a lot of good reason. Um, what do you guys think? Do you, th do you see mental health being a bigger issue among your students? Absolutely. Um, it's something that's really important and front of mind. In fact, most of our students' counselors, when they run uh, to to join our students' council, uh, have mental health on their um, campaign in some capacity. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, that our student association recognizes that, hey, students go through so much in their time at our institution. So the student association, we have peer support. So it's like a listening-based service. And we have some other mm -hmm. things, too, um, in conjunction with mental health. But so, so important. Yeah, I totally agree. And I would say students at AU are some of the individuals with um, maybe some of the most needed mental health supports. Um, you know, a lot of our students are uh, mature students. They have kids, they're single parents, they have elderly parents that they're taking care of. They're juggling full-time work with studies. Um, maybe they have their own disabilities. So I would say, uh, not to minimize anybody else, but I think that a lot of our population gets overlooked when it comes to mental health support. Um, so that's something that I've definitely been advocating for. How can campuses and campus communities not overlook students who have mental health issues or are just looking to get some help? That's a good question. Um, I would say, like, we, we definitely need to prioritize it. I would say it's an easy service that we could say, yes, it's needed. We have all these plans for it. But then, you know, we don't have the funding or, you know, it's just we don't have the resources. And I feel like that's a cop out. Um, mm. I think you need to find the resources. And it's something that shouldn't be ignored. Because if we let our mental health fail, uh, services fail, then um, our students are lacking in supports that could make or break their, their coursework. Yeah, I completely echo exactly what you've just said. Um, letting students slip through the cracks is is a huge oversight. And, and something I think that needs to be done is, is uh, in terms of funding for mental health is a, a per student uh, funding. So making sure that there's allocated funds designated for, for, for to, to represent each student at, at an institution. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, we can amplify our services. But as we all know, funding is always tight um, and we have to make do with what we have. Hey, I really like that idea about the person funding. <laughs> I've never thought about it that way before. That would um, really bolster what we have to offer right now, I think. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. What do you think, what would institutions do if they had more funding? Like, how would students see the benefit of additional funding? Would it be in the form of more counselors or more posters? Yeah, I can speak to this. So it's actually, it's so devastating what happens So currently. Um, so I'll speak to our current climate and then go into what more funding um, would provide. So currently, uh, we have wellness and psychological services, and we have students that are turned away. Mm. That's horrible. Which, uh, not because they want to, but we're at capacity. Mm -hmm. We have that many students who need it. Um, and so to answer your, your question, Duncan, it would definitely go to counseling services. Mm -hmm. Of the students um, that go to our counseling services, 29% are suicidal. Wow. That's, that's horrible. That's Devi a huge proportion. Yeah. It's devastating. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we need to be able to provide for them and, and offer those supports. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not a question in my mind. We need to expand those services. 
Yeah. Um, Natasha, what would Athabasca do with more money? What do you think? I think like uh, right now Athabasca is in the process of hiring a mental health coordinator. So mm-hmm. that's definitely something that we need. Um, and I would agree. I think we need more counseling services. We, we do currently offer a counseling service that's online, but um, I almost think it's not broad enough. It doesn't, mm. um, it wouldn't, for example, myself, speaking for myself, it wouldn't really help me uh, with what I need, which is more of a longer term solution, which uh, being a student, I'm sure most of you can relate to. I can't really afford to go out and get, you know, like, six month long counseling it's just not going to happen so being able to utilize something like that through Athabasca would greatly change my life uh, in terms of my studies Uh, but we just don't have that right now and so I've just kind of been coping on my own Mm. Um, and I'm sure I'm not alone I'm sure there's a lot of students who would benefit from something more long-term more permanent Um, and also the communication around those services, I think could be, uh, expanded on a little bit more and, and we could try to, to reach more, uh, of our students. Mm. I know I've chatted with, um, some quote unquote decision makers out there and they have a perception of what student mental health is. And I think their perception is, and I know both of you are going to be like, that's a, that's an overwrought stereotype that's (laughs) not applicable, but, um, drug and alcohol abuse, Mm -hmm. um, not paying attention to the real world, um, so it, whereas I found when I looked at research, it was more about depression, loneliness, um, and, and of course, finding the time to do all the things that are in your life. What would you guys say about some of those stereotypes of, of people who may have either gone to university in the 1980s or watched 1980s university uh, life in, in film? Mm-hmm. What would you say to them about what the reality of mental health on campus is? Yeah, it's funny, but I just had this conversation with my mom uh, <laughs> because I was talking, I don't know what I want to do with my life. Like, I don't really know. Like, I'm, it's honestly up in the air. And I was I was talking about the mental duress I go under as someone mm. who is in their undergrad and I'm unsure of what I want to do. And she's like, oh, it's okay. You can just like change your mind. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, that might have worked before. But in order to even get a, a solid job, you need experience. And a lot of that's unpaid internships, um, mm-hmm. volunteering, that kind yeah. of experience. So let's say I wanted to go to law school. That's further education. Then I'm starting at the bottom of food chain. I'm working my way up. There's so much stress that comes into that. So to, to, to just look at it, it's like, oh, it's okay. You can just change your mind. Like, yes, you can. But that doesn't take into consideration all the uh, emotional and, and physical labor that will go into developing uh, your portfolio to even be considered for those Mm -hmm. jobs so Mm -hmm. there's so much going on there and then I would even say just life being stressful I would even also say there's even question to to see if we'll have a a place to to live Mm -hmm. Um, with uh, for example Edmonton declaring a climate emergency Mm -hmm. and and the world that we live in and and the changing of the times Uh, young people have a lot of existential crisis in terms of do we have a place to actually inhabit? Yes, 100%. I agree with that. And I would also build on it and say, not only is there so much competition out there in terms of finding employment or something in your field even, but um, who knows if you're going to be able to find a job that pays enough to um, get rid of your student debt or any mm-hmm. other debt that you may have accrued while you're in school. Um, like those, those thoughts are very real and they kind of stick with you from day one. I think that anxiety never really leaves. Um, and like, I, I'm almost done my degree. I'll be graduating next year. And this is definitely another layer of, uh, anxiety or whatever you want to call it that just kind of sits on my shoulders day to day. And I'm thinking about it all the time and I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not done enough to find a job, but I, I don't have a job when 
I graduate. Like I, if I wanted to find employment right away, I would probably have to go back into the retail industry, um, which is not a bad thing, but it's definitely not my field of, of work. So, you know, and I have a lot of debt looming over my shoulders. So this is, uh, I didn't want to forget about this demographic uh, when we're talking about where our funding could be going. And I think that we should also be focusing um, not only on mental health as a whole. Um, and I was mentioning how I feel it's sort of a lower priority, but also indigenous mental health, I think, mm. is even a lower, lower priority um, when we're talking about the whole package. And uh, having some some funding that's specifically diverted to helping indigenous uh, individuals and communities Uh, with their mental health is something I think is incredibly important. To speak to that as well, I recently had the opportunity to go to Toronto to the Canadian Mm -hmm. Mental Health uh, Association's uh, National Conference. And that was actually something that that they brought up constantly, Natasha. Um, It was... um, yeah, indigenous mental health. It it's it, those supports are are necessary and and needed. So thank you for bringing that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I didn't want it to be an afterthought. Like you and you you all know here that um, I identify as Métis, and um, this is something that like I have a lot of privilege in my life um, that I haven't really had to experience uh, many of the negative ramifications as I, of identifying that way because I am very like a European presenting person. I am. Um, in a higher socioeconomic bracket with my family. So although I have experienced like lateral violence and things like that, I haven't um, necessarily experienced like some of the societal discrimination, I guess, that many Indigenous people face. So like I didn't want it to be an afterthought, but this is something I think we need to be having a conversation about in regard to mental health or services for students in general um, all the time. Certainly at Athabasca, and I'm sure the same at McEwen, are your students' union and your students' association are advocating for, for additional resources and additional emphasis on mental health. But overall, would you say that the system is getting better on campus or is the situation getting worse? I think it's the same. Yeah. Um, like, I know the SU was the, like, Athabasca University Students' Union as, uh, in partnership with OGSA, our grad student association. We together put out our wellness app that was out for a few years, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, Athabasca University took it over. Uh, I can't say that I think the quality is any better or mm. the service standard is any higher. Um, not sure if maybe if it's even regressed, I would have to really talk to our students to find out. But I don't see anything improving and I haven't really seen an improvement in the time that this transition has happened here. Fair. What about you, Cole? From when you started your degree to now, is it getting better at McEwen? Similar? Or worse? Yeah, um, I would say better. I think mm. I think um, a lot of people when they think of mental health, they initially go to, we want to do something, but we don't want to pay for it. So then there's a lot of awareness. But there actually has been some development of services at McEwen, uh, specifically with, with uh, SAMU, the Student Association of McEwen University. Um, we uh, really um, have, have beefed up our peer support, which is, mm-hmm. like I mentioned before, that listening-based service. Mm-hmm. Um, we've tried to destigmatize the idea of a food bank as well, because a lot of folks right. who suffer, suffer uh, with mental health also have a huge financial crisis Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. uh, we've relabeled it to be the pantry um so that way it's a bit more accessible and there's less of that stigma Mm -hmm. attached to it which so so important that people know it's accessible and we similarly have come up with an online service which is actually brand new this year for us at SAMU and it's uh yeah the my wellness um so we'll see how it goes for our students and it just seems to be that there's a lot and there's actually with the the wellness and psychological services with McEwen so that's a, a McEwen initiative they actually have this um, peer support team. I can't remember the name exactly, um, but they're paid students. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and they're part-time and they basically do mental health uh, initiatives on campus. So awareness, education, but also like fun little activities. So the university and the community is is uh, more aware and something that um, our vice president student life and, and I also have been talking about it too and also our vice president operations and finance because they work heavily with our insurance provider is um, coordinating all of the services that we provide to our students, whether that be through SAMU or McEwen or even in the nearby community mm. and putting it on a list because mm. people don't know where to go. Right. And it's it's sad because there are services and we work with United Way, for example, mm-hmm. who, who have those services in the community and it's just getting everything on a detailed list so people have a resource to go to and they can say, hey, I need help. And then we can say, hey, here's where you go. So I would say it has been increasing. Is it at the level I would like it to be? Absolutely not. Yeah. Sure. I think one of the problems we face being a distance institution is we we don't have a, a square block radius of where you can get resources. We The resources are all of the resources, but simultaneously none of the mm-hmm. resources at once. Natasha, AU students who might be facing crisis, where do, where do they go? Or is that entirely dependent on their community? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, honestly, I don't know if I have an answer. Mm. Um, I think it's like sort of a free for all in some ways. Like people can definitely contact our provider, Homewood Health, when they're in mm-hmm. crisis. Again, probably 2% of our students might actually do that. So I, th- I would say, lar- like by and large, most of our students just live in isolation. Um, when I started at AU, it felt like I was the only student in mm-hmm. school. And I, I've heard that multiple times. No doubt. Um, so you sort of just figure that you're on your own. You got to figure these things out for your own. You may not even realize that you're in crisis. And I think that maybe is the biggest issue of all is the lack of education to become aware enough of your own mental health um, state. Cool. I don't know if that answers your question. I mean, there is, you're right. There is no ideal answer. And I wish there were too. I wish I could point to this website here where magically mm-hmm. we, we mm-hmm. teleport a psychologist or a psychiatrist into our students' homes. They get diagnosis yeah. and they get the help they need. It's, it's, I think it's a challenge everyone in our society is facing. But I would agree with both of you that it's something very specific to students and in their terms of their kinds of stressors as well as the kind of place that they are in their life. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I do think there is a, an enormous stigma. I think people have in their minds, um, and I'm, I'm sure it compounds when you see a movie like Joker, like the idea mm-hmm. of someone who mm-hmm. needs mental health looks like X. Well, right. I look like Y, so it must be something else. I must be failing or not making the right choices or just not getting enough sleep, which is fair, students, by the way. Getting enough sleep yeah. is really, really important to mm-hmm. your mental health. But really hard for an AU student, I would say. Well, probably any student in general, mm-hmm. but like um, like working full, like this speaking from my own experience again, but working full time, going to school full time, maybe sleeping four hours a night, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. And and further to that, the, the rise of technology, I'd also say back to that question, like, would you tell that like 1980s student? Yeah. Um, assignments can be due on weekends. Mm-hmm. They're not a hand in class situation, especially you, you all know this more than anybody else. Um, yeah. For example, like I have a assignment due tomorrow and it's due at midnight and mm-hmm. I, and people will often push that and, and procrastinate mm-hmm. because of all these other stressors, stressors going on in their life. And then they end up late and yeah. no sleep and putting in an assignment and getting back a mark that might not be what they wanted because they have all these other things going on. I would say our like, so we have our undergrad situation is from my understanding no courses actually have due dates for their assignments but that presents an issue too because now 
you, you've got all the time in the world in your oh. mind and then you know your course end date starts creeping up on you and you maybe have a lot to do in a really short amount of time which I've definitely been through <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to our last episode I kind of talked about how I did a calculus course in a couple of weeks um, and that's not something I would ever do again but Um, there's that but our grad students um, face this issue because a lot of our grad students are working um, full-time jobs and they actually do have deliverables like two to three times a week Um, and I've heard a lot of them kind of speak to the stress that that creates in their lives and I couldn't imagine what that's like Um, yeah yeah. it's like what's the boundary like is it is it as soon as you leave the institution but no it's it's they can they can get these assignments at like 11 p.m Mm -hmm. midnight on a weekend so it's 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 seeping into that time where otherwise you'd have time for self-care right yeah speaking of which procrastination is probably a common but not a good method of dealing with self-care how do you guys in your own personal lives approach self-care and what tips would you offer to students who uh you know just to make sure that their mental health is tip-top okay well I don't know if I'm the best person to ask (laughs) because I kind of feel like a, a mess most of the time um we were talking about this earlier. Yeah. Um, I've had maybe sort of a rough life. Um, mm-hmm. So my I've been struggling with mental health for my, since I was probably 11 years old. Um, and I, I do try to, I, I have realized that self-care is probably the key to keeping myself afloat because if I don't take care of myself or find some time to prioritize myself, even if it's something I might think is frivolous, then um, I start to forget about myself or Mm. like lose myself and everything I do is just sort of going through the motions and just because I have to do it or for the sake of it and and then I start becoming resentful and I've noticed it's really easy for me to lose myself into like a depressive episode for a couple weeks and then not ever really be able to regain um, like my identity or um, like my point in life it's like those existential crises that we're talking about Um, it doesn't help Um, but Mm -hmm. self-care is kind of a way to like center myself so what I I do is try to obviously like showering I think is number one most (laughs) important like even if you don't feel like it you just need to do it Um, and I think most of what I do comes back to that self-determination and and, uh, self-discipline but there are days where I just don't feel like doing anything and I just won't and Mm -hmm. there's no way that I can get around that so it's a balancing act for sure it's like it's like goes in hand in hand with doing your coursework like at AU um, you just have to do it like there is no structure in place so you have to just force yourself to do it and it's the same for self-care for me. Cole what tips would you offer? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to offer tips when it's like, as you know, it's so personal. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I, I live by a, a rigorous schedule. I If I don't schedule my life, like I, it, it, it honestly is a method of self-care for me. So mm-hmm. if I know mm-hmm. what I'm doing and then also scheduling in time for myself, yeah. um, because that's something that's so easily overlooked because I hate the phrase, oh, I, I, I'm, I, I don't have the time or, or I can make time for that. You can't, you can never actually make time. Right. And I know it's a turn of phrase, but it's also a mentality. So um, allocating time, prioritizing mm-hmm. your time, mm-hmm. looking at blocks of, of time that that you can associate to to just de- designate rather to self-care is 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 essential um, to, as being a student well, for me personally. Um, and then also, I swear this is not a sponsored podcast. Um, <laughs> I, I use an app um, at night and it's called Reflect Reflectly. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and it prompts you to basically journal. So I'm not mm. the best. I've tried journaling a hundred times. I probably bought like three, three or four journals mm-hmm. and I do it for a few days and I stop. Reflectly like sends you notifications on your phone. You're probably uh, scrolling through Facebook anyways. Mm-hmm. And you can write one or two sentences about your day and you mm-hmm. can kind of rank your day, rate your day yeah. and, uh, and see where you're at. And what I really like to do is like to go back at my logs and see, what was a good day so I'm having a bad right. day I'll look at a good day and I'm like oh gosh I can remember this exactly and so it's a really great recall method to bring you to to a better place but it yeah as you said Atasha it's so hard and you said something like showering and Duncan you laugh but it, oh, it's, no, it's not at all it's true like absolutely it some days like I'll be candid I I don't have the best mental health every day especially as a student leader which mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't understand like yeah, it's a full-time job for, for me uh, at my institution, but um, it, it exceeds the hours of the office. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm often working like ridiculous. The amount of overtime I've accrued is ridiculous. Well, mm-hmm. and you can't escape it. Like it's on social media. It's, you know, yeah. you've got emails coming in at all hours. Yeah, People Sorry adding me. No, no, please. You're right. Like social media is a huge, a huge part of it, especially as a student leader. But just as a student, like getting up and showering mm-hmm. or showering before you go to bed, mm-hmm. like it's so important and it's it sounds it's like a small thing but huge impact absolutely and I just want to jump in again because um like I'm a mom I'm a single where I was a single mom for quite a few years as when I was a student and I think single moms probably like I'm speaking to all of you right now like you really just even take 10 minutes for yourself and forget about your kids and and try and do something even if it's while you're grocery shopping or whatever I don't know but like it's so important to um, not forget your identity because it's really easy to let that mom identity take over. Mm. And, um, like it is really important to make sure your kids are looked after and, and loved and they have their, their mom, but you know, you, you, you need to make sure that, um, you can be mom by, uh, really utilizing that self-care time. I'm going to jump in there too. (laughs) Something you said like really struck. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, your identity, Mm -hmm. um, and your community. I, yeah. And and something that I've found recently that provides a lot of joy is, is, um, connecting to something that I didn't grow up with. So I, I'm Mi'kmaq. And so connecting to my indigenous roots has been something that's been so wholesome and fulfilling to me. Um, and something that the university has actually allowed me and not allowed, but provided me to do with resources like our Kihuaxtin. So that's our indigenous center. Mm -hmm. Um, um, so connecting with my identity has been something so fulfilling um, and, and great for my mental health as well. And yep. there's something to be said about Indigenous mental health in, in terms of the medicine wheel as well. Yeah, uh, struggling with my own identity as well, like like uh, what Cole was just saying, um, trying to figure out where you fit in society and um, where all of the influences have brought you and um, like what components of your environment are uh, because of you know this background or that background yeah. I hope I'm making sense right now oh no totally absolutely yeah and like I I mean I think a lot of people relate to me in that I grew up in in sort of like a a, a time period where um we're a bit more like free of those like traditional nuclear family values and um there's a lot of like diversity within the family system happening and um so I grew up with a, a single parent who remarried and 
Um, part of the struggle for my own identity was getting to know, you know, my biological father and his side of the family, and that's where my Indigenous roots are. So it's been a journey of a few years, but I would definitely um, encourage anybody who might be on that same journey to follow through and just like you, Cole, and um, really connect with that because it, it felt for a long time. I really felt like I was missing something and I wasn't like a whole person. And not only just exploring my identity, but also peers who have a similar experience mm-hmm. is really important as well. Right. For myself, it's not self-care. It's getting professional help. For me, the stigma was huge. And, and you, you had to, there was this feeling I had to wait for my life to actually fall apart before I had ever asked somebody for help, especially a doctor. And, and then when I told my doctor I needed support, I mean, first of all, he laughed. He's like, why do you let it get this far before mm-hmm. you even bother to say anything? And I was like, well, because I'm, I, you know, you internalize it and think to yourself, like, I didn't think it was needed to 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 talk to somebody i thought i was supposed to deal with Mm -hmm. this myself and and he was like well is that how you handle a a broken bone or is that how you handle being tremendously overweight as i am and he he was like (laughs) you gotta treat your own mental health care in a similar way that you would to your own health care and and for me talking to my doctor and then getting additional help beyond that was one of the best things i ever did and if Mm -hmm. i had never overcome that stigma I mean, I don't want to think about it too much, but I would still be someone who thought mental health problems are something that happens to someone else. As long mm-hmm. as I have mm-hmm. a job and my family doesn't despise me, probably I'm okay. Well, that's that's not a healthy approach to, to your life. And then you don't take a look at mm-hmm. methods with which you can explore your life, explore your identity and explore how to be healthy. Yeah. And I think being your own advocate, like as I'm hearing you say that, I think I'm thinking of people whose um, health professionals um, that they're associated with may not support them mm-hmm. as much um, and may uh, minimize their mental health issues or otherwise. So if you really feel that you're not getting the care and support you need, then I think it's really important to become your own advocate or to find people in your community who can advocate on your behalf. Mm-hmm. And yeah, in terms of stigma, as a Gen Zer, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's, I think there's I think the stigma is definitely reducing, but obviously there's always work to mm-hmm. do. Um, but among my generation, I would say like, there's even memes. Like it's like me, my therapist, like people talk about their therapist all the time and it's really great. I love when people tell me stories about like going to the therapist or something like that. Cause I know mm-hmm. that people are getting the help that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, and that stigma is going away. And so like, I'll talk about me going to the therapist and like, well, like we'll have conversations and there's memes and stuff. So it's becoming more relatable. That stigma is reducing, but among, older generations yeah of course it's still prevalent and it's still obviously prevalent in my generation too mm-hmm. but i can definitely see um the disparity between um the generations there yeah that's a really interesting conversation i think um i'm a millennial i'm an old mill- a zennial if you may <laughs> spicy <if> you will. <laughs> um and so when i was growing up mental the, the conversation around mental health was beginning to kind of flourish i would mm-hmm. say in the early 2000s um, and by that time, I was um, almost finished my my um, primary school days or my secondary school even. So um, the support, like I, I definitely struggled with my mental health while I was in um, junior high and high school. And um, I ended up dropping out of high school. It was one of the reasons I would go to AU is, you know, you don't need a diploma or anything. So um, I definitely struggled with it. And the conversation wasn't really there when I was mm. when I needed that support. Uh, I did go to my counselor and. Um, I tried to get support that way and um, it sort of just got like nipped in the bud um, 
And it was, uh, you know, looking back on it now, I think it's because of society's influences. Mm -hmm. It was kind of seen as like a, Mm -hmm. well, if we admit that you're depressed, then that kind of looks bad on us Mm -hmm. or like um, the supports just weren't there to begin with or something. But um, it makes me really hopeful to see now that the conversation is so different. It's like night and day. um, And it gives me a lot of hope for the future. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to ask you a series of questions, which, of course, we have not prepared ahead of time. So. This will be interesting how this goes. Natasha and I are going to go back and forth asking you a question. In theory, you're supposed to answer as quickly as possible. So I'll start. What's your favorite color? Orange, like rusty color. That's, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's my turn. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite movie? Uh, Psycho, but Alfred Ooh. Hitchcock. Ooh. What were your thoughts on uh, the remake? It's good. Yeah. <laughs> Still good, but oh, Hitchcock's a master. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um. Favorite kind of music? Uh, I just say like alternative indie. Uh, Duncan stole my my question. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite song of all time? Oh man! Uh, oh, it's Valerie, Amy Winehouse, hands down. Ooh, okay, good very good. Do you have any pets? Okay, so I have a dog who has two names. Um, <laughs> what are his names? Uh, Scruffy and Squirrel. Yes. Okay. Uh, and he is my, the love of my life. I love it. What kind of dog? It's not my question. What kind of dog? <laughs> Bichon Freeze Maltese. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> my question is, where's your favorite place to travel? Um, so I guess that, that, that assumes I have to, had to, have had to have been there before. Um, so I actually used to live in Japan. And oh, wow. it's my favorite place to go because I just have like basically family there now. So That's yeah. amazing. Again, not my question. Tell us a little bit about Japan. <laughs> what, what made it cool? Why, why, why do you have a second family there? Oh, just because um, like I, I had a host family. Yeah. And so I, mm-hmm. I stayed with them and I was there for over a year. So you just build those connections. And, and uh, it's a lot that you go through. So having mm-hmm. that almost like family support, even though they're not technically blood related. Mm-hmm. They visited me here in Canada and I've gone back to Japan to visit them. Um, yeah, I was there uh, as like a cultural ambassador. So I was giving presentations on, on Canada and working on uh, Japan, Canada relations. Um, yeah, so I was just there for over a year. And it's, uh, I love the people, the culture, the history. It's so interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, the people are incredible. That's amazing. It That's is. awesome. Sushi is good, too. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what do you ta- what's your program at McEwen? What are you taking? Yeah, great question. Um, I'm a fourth-year Bachelor of Commerce student. I major in international business, and I minor in political science. Awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much, Cole, and, and thanks, Natasha. As always. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for having me here. This was awesome. Almost any time. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. See you guys later. That was AUSU Open Mic. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.